Greetings, I'm Tom Hensky, the host of The Affluent Advisor. With almost three decades under my belt in working with advisors, I've found that the best way to stay current on our craft is through peer-to-peer education. It's always a great feeling when we can learn something new or just brush up on that planning technique that we haven't thought about in a while. But where do we as personal finance, tax, and estate planning experts go to sharpen the saw? The Affluent Advisor is a place where advisors, whether they be accountants, attorneys, insurance professionals, or financial planners can come to get small bite-sized pieces of information from our peers to keep us current and knowledgeable on a wide variety of topics. Join us on a journey to grow as practitioners, one that benefits both you and ultimately the clients that you advise. Brock, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Tom? Awesome to be here. Great. Well, we have a lot to cover in the short time period we have today. So I just want to throw out this question for you. I always, as a financial advisor, for years, really stumbled on the college funding part of the conversation with my clients. So what's going on in the college funding landscape right now that advisors need to know about? Oh, my gosh. It's it's crazy. And you think about it. You know, you and I, you and I graduated uh, from college uh, in the well, one of us in the early '90s, one of us in 2000. But point being, look at how much more expensive college has gotten over the last two decades or so. Uh, it, it's exponentially more than virtually everything out there. And the things that you and I, the, the process that you and I went through to apply for college, um, is dramatically different than what kids are doing today. And obviously, you know, you were a Division One soccer player, and so that that process is even a, even more different. But just the whole process of applying and potentially getting either merit based or maybe need based aid, it's really really complex. And it's like a lot of things, right? I mean, you and I both have friends who are in the four hundred one k space or even in the employee benefits space. You can't dabble in these areas, right? You have to really be a niche expert and one of the challenges and we'll i'm sure dive into section 529 plans today but you know for a lot of advisors the answer is sort of a generic hey go throw some money into a 529 plan kind of cross your fingers and hope it works out i think you can add a whole lot of value for people by taking a little bit deeper dive and doing things a little bit differently uh, which is where i've hung my hat for the last couple of decades Okay, so let's jump right in on that. So you know my audience is more of a a group that works with higher net worth individuals. So I want you to keep that in mind as you're talking about things today. So tell me, what does the high net worth individual think about as it pertains to college funding? Yeah, you know, for most of these families, they sort of are of the mindset, you know, hey, I can I can just write the check. Right. I mean, you know, whatever it's going to cost, you know, maybe with some constraints, I can just write the check. But I think, too, it's it's also making smart business decisions. I mean, most of these people didn't get to the point where they are financially in their lives by making dumb decisions. Right. And so I think it's still uh, having conversations with your kids around the value of education and what that all looks like. 
you know, just having those conversations, I think, is good. Number two, families are thinking about multi-generational wealth management. I, I just I had a conversation uh, with a grandmother the other day. We went through the process of helping her pay for her children's college education. Really cool to see that. There's some money left over in some of the accounts that were earmarked for college. Now she's saying, what do I do with these? Well, hey, let's, you've got these grandkids. Let's start talking about some planning there. She happens to live in Virginia. In Virginia, you can deduct, because she's over the age of 70, you can deduct, she's got, uh, well, this is interesting. She's got two kids. Right now she's got three grandkids. So she can actually contribute $80,000 per kid, per grandkid, and deduct all of that, right? So she's looking at potentially up to a $240,000 current year deduction. And in Virginia, rules are different state by state, but in Virginia, she can carry forward that deduction until she's completely exhausted it. So it's just, you know, it's a state tax deduction, not a federal. So you got to understand those nuances, but that's a cool opportunity. She could theoretically not pay state income taxes for the next couple of years. Well, that one piece of advice is probably great for everyone listening to this. And I should probably just cut off the interview right now because that's worth <laughs> its weight in gold, right? But I'm not going to let you off that easily. So tell me more. We all understand, at least the listeners of this podcast, of the tax-free growth nature of the 529 plans. But is there a reason why that's maybe more beneficial for a taxpayer who's in a high tax bracket? Well, I think, too, some of the rules are really generous and flexible. One of the, I'll say that like every financial instrument, there are advantages and disadvantages, right? And so with the 529 plan, I would say the one big disadvantage is that the money sort of has to be used for education, right? And so, but if you've got kids in private K through 12 education, uh, and or you're pretty sure that they're going to go off to college, there is probably no more tax efficient instrument than the 529 plan. And for high net worth families, one of the big advantages too, I mentioned it before, but being able to do multi-generational planning. One of the things I say for many families is understand what you don't want to do is you don't want to have money left over in the 529 plan when the kid graduates. Because if you if the child graduates and you're pulling money out for something other than education, you're going to pay tax on the gain plus a 10% penalty. Now, for some families, you might look at that and say, wow, this is a really cool opportunity to, you know, we've all heard the term dynasty trust, almost create like a dynasty trust that's used for education specifically. And I, I would argue what better gift is there than education, right? I mean, the opportunity to really give young people a leg up. And so, you can do some really cool planning. The only rule, and I still think this gives a lot of flexibility, you have to either use or pass the money with a 529 plan within 30 years of the child's high school graduation. You give me 30 years, I can make a lot of decisions, right? So we'll figure out where to put the money. And so there's some really cool things. You know, I mean, I think I'll use, I'll, I'll pick on your son, Spencer, right? I, I think it's probably hard to think of Spencer actually having offspring of his own at this point, but probably eventually it's going to happen, right? And so the idea for a parent or eventual grandparent to be able to do some cool planning, I think is a, is a neat concept. 
Yeah, and I think also as I'm hearing you talk about it, I think about all the vehicles that we typically use in planning in general, right? 401ks, IRAs. For Roth IRAs. Roth yeah. IRAs are a great tool. Right. Roth IRAs, health savings accounts. But all of those have pretty stringent limits as to how much we can put in. Yes. Right. So how do you think about if it's not used for college, the exit out if money is not going to be used for education? You could still make an argument that if I can essentially defer taxation on an investment for, let's say, 30 years, and then I pull the money out for something other than education, now I'm going to get dinged with a 10% penalty. I'm going to pay tax on the gain. But to not have that deferral for 30 years, or sorry, not have that tax liability for 30 years, if we had it in maybe a brokerage account or even just cash in a savings account, it um, we very well might still be coming out ahead. Okay, so tell me this. So each state has its limits as to how much you could put in. Is there a limit per beneficiary? Like, could you use multiple states? Well, yeah, so so those rules are all federally mandated. So every single state right now, you can put in $16,000 per child, per plan, per year. So mom could put in $16,000, dad could put in $16,000, your neighbor down the street could put in $16,000. Next year, 2023, that jumps to $17,000. There's a special rule with 529 plans that allows you to contribute up to five years worth of contributions. So what that means in a lump sum. So what that means is if you put anything greater than $16,000 in, you can't contribute for the next five years. But if you put in $80,000, and by the way, think about where the economy is. We're sitting here in December of 2022, the market's down, the economy's down, not a bad time to be dumping a lump sum, especially with younger kids into something like this that will then grow tax deferred or tax free to be used for education. And so the, the only thing that is slightly different state by state is the amount that you can deduct or for which you receive a tax credit uh, in that year of contribution. Okay, great. So let me let me follow that up. So forget about the state tax benefits just for this one example. So let's say I live in a state where we can put in a total of $250,000. I'm just making that up. Is there any limit to me going from the state of, let's say, Connecticut to the state of New York and then doing another one there too for the same? No, so yeah, so if you ignore the, the state tax advantage, the what you would look at is who's got the best underlying investment performance, lowest fees, all the things that you and I look at as advisors. The reason why you would now, if I can bring, if I can have permission to bring back into the conversation that state tax advantage, if you used, like as an example, I met this morning with a couple who previously lived in Missouri, but has not lived in Missouri for the last six or seven years, but has still been contributing to that Missouri 529 plan that they set up years and years ago. I said, we'll move it to Virginia where you live now. And let's let's bring it back in. And now you're going to recapture all those tax deductions that you haven't gotten over the last six or seven years. So just understanding those nuances. And we see it, unfortunately, human beings tend to be a little bit lazy sometimes. But also financial advisors sometimes say, hey, let's use this plan because it's managed by my broker dealer or something like that. Just being cognizant 
of what those rules are, I think is really, really important. And then what if that same person, they moved and let's say they put in the state that they were living in at the time, they put in that $250,000 and now they move to a different state, which also has a $250,000 limit. Could they have two plans, 250,000 in each of the individual state plans? They could, you've got to be cognizant because on most of these plans that allow carry forward, yeah. Right. So like, I'll, I'll just keep using Virginia because as a Virginia guy, it's what I know the best, but we work with all these plans. But the idea in Virginia, you get a $4,000 per child per plan per year tax deduction. So if you had somebody who's putting in $80,000 to a child's plan, they're going to get that $4,000 deduction and it's going to be carried forward for 20 years. Right. One mm-hmm. of my favorites is Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, you can get a $16,000 per year tax deduction, regardless of the plan that you use. Got it. So what's this whole concept of super funding a 529 plan? Yeah, so sort of what we're talking about. I mean, it's the ability, every state plan has some limit. And that's sort of what you're talking about, where, you know, a plan might say the maximum account value you can have is $500,000. You can absolutely do that. You are limited by the amount that you can contribute. You want to be cognizant of what you can deduct and those kind of things. But let's say as an example that uh, let's just say you had mom, dad, and four grandparents, and they all somehow, some way put in $80,000 in a given year. So you get $480,000 in there going to work. Okay. You could theoretically have somebody else put some money in, but once it reaches a $500,000 limit, if that's the limit in that state, you couldn't put you couldn't put new contributions in. The bottom line is, you know, if you're trying to super fund a plan, I, I think it's really cool and kind of builds that dynastic or multi-generational wealth, which is really, really cool. It's just a matter of some limitations, which I think we'll figure it out right then then you could quite frankly you could go use another state's plan if you still wanted to throw more money into this plan you just couldn't use that particular state where you're capped out there's ways around all this and i would say you got to find the legal moral ethical ways of of solving the problem okay so let me ask you this there are a lot of clients that when they start their planning let's say in their late 20s early 30s whenever they start to have children that they are investing in 529 plans. And then all of a sudden the kids get to college age and they're in a completely different economic stratosphere, meaning they earned a lot of money, they saved a lot of money, they made a lot of money, and they don't really need the money in the 529 to pay for college. When they eventually transfer that to the child, what does that look like mechanically? Well, it really depends on the plan that you're using but generally it's pretty easy right so you're just naming a successor owner of a 529 plan and passing it along i would still say again as we think about business decisions i'd still suggest hey you might as well use the money in the 529 plan because of its tax advantaged nature what you might do sort of simultaneously though is put new money in so, the, so if you pull out $30,000 out of the 529 plan, you might say, hey, how do I get $30,000 back into the plan if you're in that situation that you sort of outlined there? 
Okay, great. And so what are the gifting ramifications? Say that I've saved all this money in the 529 plan for my child who's in college and decide not to use it. And let's say that the beneficiary was, let's use Spencer, my son, and we're not going to use that money. What is the gifting ramifications of him taking that money and then using it for his kids later in life? Nothing. You would just simply, you would transfer as the owner. If you were the owner, uh, you would simply name, you would probably just name a new beneficiary is what you'd do first. So if Spencer has children or when Spencer has children, you would name Spencer's son or daughter as the beneficiary, right? No gift tax issue there because you can go up the line or down the line. You can also go across. So in theory, Spencer could get, you know, Spencer as beneficiary, you could change the beneficiary to Spencer's cousin as an example. But we're talking about going down to the new beneficiary and then Spencer would be the successor owner of the plan. So you wouldn't change the ownership of it necessarily. You just name him as a successor. Then if and when Tom, you die, Spencer becomes the successor owner. He now owns it. There's no step up in basis or anything because of the fact that uh, it was already tax free to begin with. And that would be considered in my estate in your example. That's right. Okay, great. Well, gosh, we're, we've blown through the time, but anything else going on in your space you want to talk about? You know, I think I would just say, you know, our website is really designed to be a resource for parents, for advisors, a lot of good stuff. A lot of it's free. So if you want to visit, it's thecollegefundingcoach.org. Ton of resources there. Help yourself. There's a really cool college money report. And I think, too, especially for affluent families, again, sort of making good business decisions with this stuff. You know, we, we told a family the other day that if their child just got 10 more points on his SATs, he would get a $9,000 a year scholarship at his top choice school, right? I said to mom and dad, hey, you think it's worth maybe 500 bucks to go to an SAT prep class to save yourself $36,000 on, on education? I mean, these kind of strategies that are not necessarily financial planning strategies. They're just good business decisions that happen to involve college. I love it. I know uh, you've always been a huge source of information for me. I can't uh, even count the number of clients I've said, look, just go see Brock. He knows yeah. his group. They, they really know it. And I really appreciate everything that you give back because you mentioned you give a lot of free stuff and you certainly do. I think you're just on a mission and that mission is to kind of make this a better world for parents to think through. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that, your time. I'm going to put all the information about Brock and the college funding coach and Veritas in the show notes. And if anyone has any questions, you can reach out to him directly. Thanks, Brock. All right, Tom. Always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us today. Please remember that any views or opinions expressed during this podcast are those of our guest and do not necessarily express those of the Affluent Insurance Advisor. While the information in this episode may concern financial matters, it is not legal or tax advice and should not be construed as such. We encourage you to consult with your legal counsel or tax advisors on these matters. Tom Hensky is a registered representative and offers securities and investment advisory services through MML Investor Services, member SIPC. 90 Park Avenue, New York, New York, 10016 212 536 6000